Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. This is Blix. This is Mark. This is Jonathan. And this is Trav. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier, your podcast of doing it not just once, but 700 times. Yes. Yes. Until you go blind. Oh. I was going to say, that's something my wife would certainly appreciate. Wow. You going blind? Okay. (laughs) Either or. (laughs) Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier. Uh, This week we are celebrating our 700th podcast. And we have a number of guests. One is Peter Blix. Well, Peter Bryant, who goes by, who went by the name of Blix back in the day, uh, who was one of our uh, our original podcast hosts. And also uh, Mark Kinney. Uh, from the original All Games Considers, and now he's on a whole new podcast. Okay, so Travis? All right, I, I think I got mine. Okay, the one that I consider most successful because I enjoyed it, the players ran with it, we have running gags about it today, there was an epilogue to the campaign, something I didn't know about that I found out in a later campaign. Okay, It was called Space Chase. Now, Space Chase was the original name for the show Farscape. And I decided, I want to do a show, I want to do a campaign. It's like Farscape, but it's based in the D&D Eberron setting. And there is a race of psionics. They're known as the Readrons. And they had these crystalline starships. And I found a race to have something like a pilot from, you know, from Moya. And they were capturing various people from the other D&D realms and bringing them back to Reager for either eugenics, because they didn't have quite genetic engine, or slave labor. So either breeding stock or slave labor. And there was a wide range of characters. I had two Kender, a Drow, a human female fighter. It's a race in 3035, basically half warg, half hobgoblin. I forget the name of the race. It's like four or five letters long, but basically it's, you know, magical crossbreeding, a hobgoblin with warg tendencies. So it looked sort of canine, but it was like eight feet tall. Um, and then I played my NPC, which was supposed to be Aaron. And he let all of these characters out to take over the ship because he just did, okay, we're stealing these people. This ain't right. Never mind the reagents indoctrinate via dream monoliths all over the land. So it's very hard to break this programming. Well, he releases everybody and just the player characters hated this guy, Danan. And of course, you know, on a character, Danan or Yogurt Boy or whatever, you know, just, yeah. The hatred for this NPC who basically freed them was just, and I'm looking at these people and say, I busted my ass on this campaign for this long. And you're, so I'm running through this campaign. We make it back to Eberron. We're in the jungle, jungles of Zendrick. Giant spiders come after him. 
at that moment, I find out my now 23-year-old nephew was playing one of the Kenders is an extreme arachnophobe. Okay, failure number already four or five in this game. He dropped out after a while. Perky Goth, who played the other Kenders, she dropped out. So we said, yeah, you, you just go back in cold storage. You can't handle this. So after a while, these characters are getting chased all over the system of Eberron, 12 moons and everything. And they finally decide, so it's the the Hobgoblin Warg, the Drow, Danan, and I think one or two other characters that were still willing to put up with the Reagent's crap. And so they're in Zendrick, and there's this place where just gold is everywhere. There's like, oh, giant gold slabs and this and this and this. And they had these crystalline shuttles. So basically, they said, okay, we're going to take care of this. We are going to take one of these gold slabs. And of course, they had the big Hobgoblin Warg, and that was Carrie, my pretty much now co-GM on Thursday and Friday nights. You know, eight feet tall, but with the mentality of an eight-year-old. So she's playing, yeah, little girl. And just, yeah, okay, growly, go flip that big piece of gold into the back of the shuttle. And they basically dropped. And it was funny because the leader was a drow. So the moral compass, the leader, was this lawful evil drow female named Mara who had a, a warg. And so they were just total <clears throat> phalluses about this whole campaign. I don't know if it's just they were actively trying to screw me over, but... By the time this campaign was done, they took the ship up, dropped the gold on the city. And of course, terminal velocity, I did the day. No, you killed 70,000 people. At that point, the reagents just said, you can take the ship. We will no longer hunt after you. We are sorry. Just do not do that again. Campaign over. Epilogue years later carries in a Thursday game. She brings her friend, who is now a friend of mine, Will Stiebling into this. And he has his iconic Forgotten Realms wizard, Zen Falconen, who now has become a mainstay in the Thursday game. In one way or another, Zen is either talked about or in-game. And all of a sudden, Carrie's there. Trav. And I know when somebody refers to me, either Robert, Trav, or Honey in that, and it's usually a woman in my life, I know it's not going to end well for me. And I'm like, yes, Carrie. And Carrie is my roommate Wolf's old girlfriend, old flame. They were together for years. She moved. They're still friends. And she now is in the group. And the roommate will walk by and say hi to her when she's on Skype. Anyways, I'm like, yeah, Carrie. You remember your space chase game that you ran? I said, yeah, I remember. You guys ended it by dropping money on it. Well, Trav, you know that my science isn't all that well. I'm like, yeah. And all of a sudden, Will does this giggle. And I'm like, no. He's like, well, I don't know the science and all that, so I was secretly contacting Will on Messenger to get the math and all this. I'm like, you sons of... So this is like three years after this campaign was done. And Carrie figuratively and literally, pun intended, dropped this bombshell on me. And so... We still bring up Space Chase to this day. This can't, and I actually, in a future campaign, the Bureau 13 Black Potter, where they end up getting, you know, what Bruce calls gnomes in space. I visited that and kind of cleaned up plot lines that were left behind because people ruined my campaign. 
And so just I brought back. So it was kind of my way to what's the term here? Tie up loose ends in the plot that I never got to finish because they dropped money on the problem. And this gold slab was probably like eight feet long by four feet wide and a foot thick. So, yeah, it made, it made quite a dent in this reagent city of 150,000 people. Basically, it took out half the city. And just because we'll bring that back and we'll talk about it to new gamers in the Thursday and Friday group. And we all finally got to meet at some craft burger bar in this area. And so it's uh, talking about gaming stories. I'm looking at Carrie and Will at this restaurant. Wolf knew about it. Fur knew about it. Courtney, our newer gamer on Thursday, knew about it. And I'm just like, yeah, I have a gaming story. I'm sure Carrie and Will want to hear it. And they're just all, okay, Trav's pissed off. Okay, what did these two do? <laughs> so I would have to say as far as just getting my players motivated, getting them just to where it it was on the cusp of an adversarial relationship. Me on one side of the screen and all them just trying to foil every plan that I had in this game. It would have to be that space chase campaign. It was nothing more than Farscape meets Everon. Because we still talk about it today and I'm just like, shut up, Carrie. <laughs> it's not funny, Will. Yeah. Okay. All right. So um, now let's just talk about, you know, games, that, not just games we've run, but also games we've played. Um, and I want you guys to tell me which game you played or ran had the wildest campaign concept. How about you, uh, Mark? Uh, let's see. There was this space game that um, uh, Chris, one of the guys from another podcast, um, I don't know if I should mention them or not, but um, the, that, that, that he was running and it was this it, we were using savage worlds and it was this fish out of water occult space mashup thing uh with a very kind of uh fey type background to it as in you know the e e economy runs on favors going back and forth and all that kind of thing so and and that 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 was a wild game of we got a good ways into it. I think timing ended up kind of stopping that one. But if you wanted just a, the, the the most out there game that I've been part of, that is it. Um, now possibly something that I ran would possibly be the uh, the uh, four part uh, Star Blazer Adventures game that I ran for the Gutter Skypes back in the day. It's because everybody had their own inputs into it, and we had space dragons and all and this. You, you know these sort of in, intergalactic collectors and all this stuff, and it, it was, and I even managed to throw in uh, a uh, Bertie Wooster reference. So that's cool. yeah, that's 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 my bit, so, such as it is. Okay, how about you, Peter? All right, so I'm going to list two, if that's okay. Why not? <laughs> Mark just did. <laughs> the, 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 the first one was a game we, we did a couple of years ago. And we the first game, so the first game night that we ran, 
we made our characters up as children. So we were like eight. What? Okay. So what was the game? Uh, oh, so it was, I'm sorry. It was the new world of darkness. So the second version, I don't know if a second edition or whatever, but the second version of world of darkness. Oh, okay. Um, so we, we were, we started out playing our, playing our characters as like eight year old kids. And so that adventure was made, you know, on that level. Like, so we weren't fighting, you know, vampires and werewolves and stuff. There was, there was one, like, I think it was like a ghoul or something that we wound up messing with or something. I don't even think we fought it. We just had to deal with it. So then we, the next game we played, we were playing ourselves at, um, at 18 years old and it was at like a, or, or maybe like 16 or something like teenagers, or like some kind of summer camp. So then, um, that adventure was like, you know, just again, one night and it was, you know, it was just different levels of the story. So we were setting up the background for each character. So when you, when we actually, the, the third night that we got together and played, we were actually playing our, our actual, the character, this is the character we we're playing throughout our campaign. But we had established uh, not only a history for each character, but these characters were all childhood friends, and they had had these two really important supernatural events that had occurred to them um, previous to the campaign. That was actually a told story that we all we all did together. And then the other piece to that, which made this really cool, was that we we didn't play any of the traditional um, tropes in, 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 um, in the white wolf system. I think one guy was a hunter. One guy was a half demon. Um, I played a geist, which was actually turned out to be like against the, the grain of what we were doing. Cause geists turned out to be really super powerful. We didn't know that at the time. I thought I was just playing some weird character. Uh, and I think somebody else put like a half vampire, like a damp here. And, and so that was a really, really cool campaign because we had established this history. So we go into the campaign with all the characters having this really tight knit um, background and reason to be together. It wasn't just like, Oh, you're a bunch of adventurers who like to travel together. It all really made sense. The, the second one, uh, is the one that we're in right now. So, so the one we're in right now is really uh, our DM John has, has has gone above and beyond with this one. It's pretty cool. We're playing ourselves, and it started out as we were playing ourselves, and we were using this gaming device to go into the this other world, go into the cyberpunk genre, and then we had a second character. So we had two characters. We had our the character we're playing, and then we had our our you know, quote unquote video game character in cyberpunk. And we would, we would play adventures in the real world and play adventures in this gaming world that we would go into. And of course, as you all know, it turns out that all of it's real and that the cyberpunk characters are actually real people that we were basically possessing, but we didn't know that. Um, and then it turns out there's other games that people are playing. There's one in a and d type world, another one in a, a mecha type world. And we start, you know, using this game system to go into these different worlds. And it, eventually it worked out that, you know, if you travel to that world yourself, the person you were playing dies. Or if that person comes to your world, if you were playing that character and you traveled to the real world, 
you your real self would actually die. You can't exist in the same place. So it's been really, it's been absolutely nuts. It's been a very cool adventure. Um, We've actually managed to kill all the other characters uh, as ourselves because we traveled to those worlds because we didn't know it was happening at first, right? Um, And then we just discovered, just just to bring it all around to everything we've been doing, we just discovered, now we've been playing this game for about nine months, and the Game Master just revealed we just found the fringe paths. So all this dimensional traveling has been outside of the fringe paths. However, we found a warp and went in and, and we were all fringe worthy, of course, cause that's what he had. He had this planned. Um, we, and now we're at a crossroads where we're trying to figure all this stuff out. Like how the hell is this all happening? What is going on? We think that it's possible that, these devices that we were using, we're using some kind of Tremelon technology to travel into different worlds because on that platform that we go on to, two of the worlds are two of the worlds in the game. And we haven't done the rest of them yet because oh. we just discovered it. So it, it's actually turning out to be really, really cool. Uh, you know, very metagame, so much metagame going on, so much like, what is this? Um, it, is, it has been really awesome. It's been a very cool campaign. Okay. All right, Trav. All right. As far as okay, you did the most the one with they got the players most. This is more along the lines of what again? It's the wildest campaign concept. Oh, wildest. Oh, okay. Yeah, in other words, you you just said what I mean that this is that's that's a crazy idea for a game. Uh, a a campaign and I want it. I want to be in it. Hands down. Boom. I've mentioned this one before. Maze World, the one that that um basically a multi-planar dungeon crawl. Me, my friend Gina Osborne, Perky Goth, one of the people who's done one of the offshoots of my show, her husband Dan, Oz, and my then girlfriend Laura. We're all downtown in a place called Leland City Club. Former hotel turned into a goth club. There were bands there that Oz and I liked. We went there. So while Oz is there listening to the band, the German techno band Desector, Laura's draped over one of the couches in the lobby. Me and Perky Goth are sitting in what was the lobby of this hotel, and my one friend, uh, Brian Gropner, dark NES of the band The Goth Sickles, in and out of the green room talking with us. Gina drops this campaign about, okay, these people are all... You know, the chaotic and evil gods are trying to knock humanity down a few pegs, and they're going to basically bring magic back to the world after 20,000 years. Those who have a certain gift, and later we just said, we're going to make it fringe-worthy. They're also, they get drawn out of their sleep into a dream realm called the maze world. And I just found a couple of maps and put them together of mazes from, uh, what is it, uh, Wyrmworks, all those maps from the 90s. And so we plotted out, okay, at all the confluences, these are where worlds are. And I printed out what is now the big blue binder and said, okay, this is area number 33. This is area number 64. This is, And so we had a group of people from all over the world meet outside this massive wall with like a steel walk uh, staircase. And they go into the maze. And it was just people from all over modern day and just... 
the gaming worlds that I threw in and I threw in modules and I mean, they were there to learn how to use magic and survive in the world that was to come. They couldn't stop this apocalypse. That wasn't going to happen. What they had to do was get the remainder of humanity. And Gene and I did the math. About 2 billion people died in this. And it went just from the international dateline all the way around. So every hour, another part of the world just got, oh, look, there's, you know, dragons trying to take on airplanes and orcs are invading London and creatures are coming back, you know, out of mythology. And in Georgia, 20,000 years ago, when it was tundra and still cold, this elf from 20,000 years ago is now in downtown Calhoun dressed in furs and wondering why it's so hot and what is that? It was a cop car, but she had no idea what it was. And so these characters were in all sorts of weird situations and dealing with, I brought in the Rakshasa from Indian mythology known as Prahasta, which I could probably neither confirm or deny that if I say Prahasta to those gamers today, certain orifices orifices don't clench on them even today. Um, and so the campaign, the first campaign ended wrapped up with these characters make it back and they, as, as the, how can I put this? The fecal matter, the fecal matter is about to hit the oscillating blade. They get to New York city and they get the UN and they get on just before communications cut off. Cause the magical wave destroys a lot of technology and everything. And they, it, it's the, you know, come with us. If you want to live, we're going to teach you how to survive in this new world. Don't ask us how it's just what's coming. will change your lives forever. That was the end of the first arc. The next one was two years down the line. Humanity starting to rebuild and the original character retired. And I called this one the new avatars because it's the people they picked to. Because like one of them became a major general in what was left of the U.S. Army. Another one was a scientist and another one did this. And so these new, you know, third, fourth level characters were all their protégés. And they had to deal with the city of brass and they had to deal with. Um entrenched you know wars between like the native americans and the elves who came back who got the land and they're having to deal with all that and going back into the maze world because of another problem and so that one lasted for about a year and a half two years a third spinoff was right after the apocalypse happened and that was the one down in calhoun georgia where I had to research everything down there and get maps and, oh, look, it's between Chattanooga and Atlanta and it has this and this and Mohawk carpeting. And I'm having to build what was left of Calhoun, Georgia, using the campaign rules, the uh, the settlement and uh, kingdom rules from Pathfinder's Ultimate Campaign and the Game Master's Guide. And I'm having to deeply research this city. And it's basically Mary Sue versions of me and Amber a hunter and local from Calhoun, the 20,000-year-old elf, and a recovering alcoholic, uh, famous rock drummer who Z later added, and he's gay. So he had to bring in that his drunk driving killed his lover. And and it was just, so the Maze World campaign, and I've even brought it back in other campaigns, like, oh, you messed up on the Amulet of the Plains. Yeah, you're off in the distance and you see or an army of what looks like orcs running toward a major. Oh, that's London. 
okay, we redo the amulet planes and get out of there. So May's World has kept coming back throughout all of my various other campaigns because it's just something that Gina and I put so much love. And I still have the notebook, which we call our Bible, this old green plastic cover notebook that just maps and characters and folders. Yeah. So, uh, Jonathan, do you have something? Because in this, we want, you know, uh, can we shorten it just a little bit? <laughs> what the wild, uh, this is the wildest campaign concept. Okay. Uh, wildest. The, the, thing that, the thing that basically got you or your players saying, yeah, this is crazy stuff you're talking about. Unfortunately, we never got past character creation, but I did get a lot of interest in this concept. And I do hope to revisit it one day. But uh, about mm, 10, 15, no, 10 years ago, uh, I was putting together a GURPS campaign um, that was basically going to be set in the Bioshock universe and was going to be, you know, a modern day rediscovery of the city of Rapture and and all the weirdness that comes from someone trying to pick up the mantle of of Rapture's craziness and experiments and all that. I mean, that wasn't the thing. It was going to go into just randomness. and. So Bi Bioshock, uh, you know, uh, in modern day. Yeah, basically the basic premise was what would happen if, um, you know, Elon Musk decided he wanted to uh, continue the... Uh, the gene genetic experimentation of rapture or at least an Elon Musk type character. All right. Um, my wildest campaign concept way, way back in like the second issue of uh, terror watch, uh, the newsletter for bureau 13, uh, they had an adventure where there was a elven incursion into Ohio and they were trying to make a beachhead there to basically start, you know, doing stuff in the human world, uh, or the Bureau 13 world, which is not exactly a human world, but, uh, and they got basically got their, they got stopped, really stopped. Uh, the Bureau just basically unleashed an orbital satellite that just fried, well, it just fried them. And so ever since then, uh, the powers that be in the Elven Kingdom have been really PO'd about this, and they wanted to get payback. And so they, with their spies and such, decided that what they would do is they'd figure out, using magic, how to create an atomic weapon. And then they would use that to basically stomp you know, as much of the human world as they could get away with and show them who's really the, you know, the, the uber uh, uh, race and kingdom, you know, in, in, in this particular multiverse. And the, uh, the players, uh, as agents of Bureau 13, were supposed to go into the Elven Kingdom and stop that from happening. They're basically been genetically altered to look just like these three elves that were all essentially uh, really obscure, uh, you know, you know, tinfoil-wearing researchers in magic. These are people that were stuck out in these little uh, small universe, you know, small colleges, whatever, doing their research because everybody thought they were full of beans. And then, uh, uh, but they were all being brought in because, you know, the, the king of the elves said, well, you know, we're going to have to have people who think outside the box. And so we're going to bring in everybody and we're going to see what sticks to the wall and what blows up. 
And so they were being brought in. And a group of elves had decided that they were tired of millennia-long uh, uh, rulerships by, uh, uh, you know, by family you know, uh, a fam uh, family rulership, and they wanted a democracy. They wanted them to fail. They wanted them to fail so that they would uh, uh, they would be able to get some traction on saying, well, maybe you know, having a uh, that kind of rulership isn't isn't what we really need going forward. Maybe we should try something like what the humans are doing. So they were bringing in these guys in because if anything, if it didn't go, if it worked right, then it was good for them because the 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 king and his family would be, uh, you know, would be embarrassed. If it went wrong, they could blame Bureau Thirteen. Ah, and I, and I created a school of magic, just like all the animes you've ever seen with schools of magic. You know, with the whole thing, you know, the hierarchies, you know, the the upper crust, the peasants are nobody, the thing, but I. For magic, what I did was I created a whole new, con uh, it was a lexical magic system where you basically made up spells using words. And, you know, and each word, each letter of each word had a value. And the higher the value of the statement that you made in your spell casting, the more powerful the spell would be. And so... The idea was is that they were you know we have to go and make a really really powerful spell a statement in order to make to make this bomb, and the funny thing was is that when they the players didn't try to stop this, <laughs> they were trying their very best to actually pull off a magical nuclear weapon, and I was absolutely flabbergasted. Because I was like, um, you know, you could just do what you were sent here to do and like maybe make all these things fail. And they're like, no, they're, they're going to fail anyways. We got a better idea. <laughs> they ran with it like, like, like a, you know, like a, a bunch of hungry, you know, hungry wolves. And by the end of the game, uh, there was a, uh, there was a thousand foot tall atomic elemental charging across <laughs> the Elven Kingdom. To was going to destroy the Elven Kingdom, and they and, and they they managed to stop that and come back and basically succeed, but in the most outrageous possible way they could have succeeded, and they had they they thought it was the best adventure they ever been in, and I was like, well, it certainly was the most unexpected. <laughs> so yeah, that was my wildest uh, campaign. It I think that thing took like two years to run. That sounds wild. Oh my gosh. There was so much stuff I had to make out of whole cloth for that because it wasn't even in the Bureau 13 universe. It just had Bureau 13 characters in an entirely basically different game system game, you know. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. So, okay. As a palate cleanser, uh, which game do you guys think had the fastest combat rules? Hmm. Basically, just, you know, do it and get done real fast. Which one? Which this? Which game system do you guys think was the best? If you don't mind, so I, I didn't. Let me go first. That is, um, I had no intention of of ever really getting into fate because I had talked to you know I talked about it with people and 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 I wasn't really excited or interested in the fate system as it was described to me, and we we tried it so we played it for a little while. 
And I was really impressed. And it is really fast, very fast. And but but yet at the same time, enough meat to the system for a fast system to still be interesting. So I I I really like fate. I think fate does a really good job of keeping things fast, but yet still like cool and involved and involved. Um, you know, because when when you when you sacrifice you know, intricacy, intricacy is always like options, like all these things you can do or, 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 you know, things you have to think about that, that makes you more like strategic. And you would think that makes a better combat system. Um, and usually when you sacrifice all that, it makes it all really simple, but then takes away all the fun because you're just like, Oh, it's going to roll dice and do this thing. Um, I think fate straddles that, um, that, that balance really, really well. Probably, in my opinion, of everything I've played, probably the best. I think Savage Worlds would come in second, but I think Fate wins over Savage Worlds in that aspect. Okay. I'm going to say that of of what I've been playing around with and what I've seen directly, um, the Cortex system, uh, combat's pretty simple because in Cortex, a combat action is no different than any other uh, contest, any other challenge. Um, cause m- almost everything that happens in cortex is the character attempting to do something with the, the, the storyteller, you know, rolling a contested role against them basically. And combat is just another one of those type of contests that just might have repercussions. Um, so that's, yeah, I mean, it just it, it it there's no there's you don't have to learn additional rules or anything. It's literally just we're doing the exact same thing we've been doing all game long. Great, Mark. Well, um, on a certain level, I would go with feng shui. You have to kind of know the to get used to the how the shot clock and that thing works as far as the order the people go in. But I've had a lot of luck with that. As far as just straight brute force, quick. Uh, I was kind of surprised when I was started working on the uh, on my Cepheus engine fringeworthy game, just how deadly the whole traveler ecosystem games can be. Just, I mean, it's a pretty straightforward, simple combat system to begin with. But uh, the, you know, my first time going through things, I had a bunch of people who were either going to be down or dead after being hit once, uh, given the. Um, Levels of uh, it's I I know that the default everyone uses is hit points, but it's the most descriptive. You you take uh, points off of their physical stats when they take damage, but um, but that can go down pretty quickly because you know getting at a you know tens are 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 high stats there, and you've got weapons that do three or four d six damage. So oh. yeah, it's. It, it it can be a pretty rough game if you do if you're doing a lot of fighting and you're not wearing a lot of armor and that's one of the things that that really drew me to it for the fringe worthy thing actually was it's hard to nerf the Meller in <laughs> in this system it's just it's just figuring out exactly how strong they should be is my is what I've been working on for so long but yeah okay trap as far as comp oh wait a minute excuse me as far as combat goes. Um, 
just a very simple compound system. And I don't know if you guys have ever heard of a little company called Mind's Eye Publishing. They put out games and they were like netbooks. Let's see. Hero 8, Placid Haven, Tech HL, Soul Axis, Psychosis, and Realm Walkers. And the combat system is it's you big and it's all D6s. Um, opposed rolls. And you roll like 3D6. And let's see, two numbers are the same out of the three. You score one point. All odd or even, two points. Consecutive numbers, you get four. And if it's all the same numbers, six. And you just basically, who gets the higher roll? So let's say somebody rolls a two, three, and a four, and somebody rolls all threes. Well, the person who rolled all threes gets six to four points. They win that particular round. And I'm just like, that is simple as all get out. And I had to look for this. I had to dig among the folders of folders to find this because I've had this for a long time and haven't used it. I would say to me, that's the simplest combat system I've ever seen. Okay. Um, I'm going to have to weigh in with first edition D&D. Okay. Because it was like, you know, you, you just basically roll versus someone's armor class. You know, it's just a number. If you hit, you do damage, and they might have to make a saving throw, of which there were like five different ones. And uh, I've seen people like take a just a massive handful of dice when like a group of 20 orcs or whatever were facking them and just toss them against the back of their GM screen. Okay. And just pull them into like a, a, a like six different bunches and says, okay, the, these are, and just, and say, your armor class is this. Okay. One out of these guys hit you. Two out of these guys hit you like that. Says, and they did X amount of damage to you. Are you still standing? And, you know, the answer is yay, nay, or, you know, whatever. So, I mean, it was, when I started, you know, started playing D&D, it was very fast. Uh, now, we, when you get up to high levels, then, of course, you got people with hundreds of hit points and things like that going on. But I'm just saying is that when they, you know, this was a game that had to get people, had to be simple in, in that sense, because otherwise people wouldn't play it. They were trying to get across a concept of role-playing to people. So, you know, re they might have had a zillion rules for a zillion different things, but when it, the core, it had to be it had to be simple and it had to be fast. And that's how I experienced it. Okay, if you wanted to do something wild and unexpected, and it had to succeed, then what game system would you want to be playing? Yeah. Damn, Bruce. So that, we're basically saying what game system gave your character the most agency? Oh, for easily just OGL, because I can find stuff to, I can come up with two. Somebody comes at me with a character concept. I've gotten to the point where I can come up with two or three different ways to build that character to get them what they want. No, but I'm just saying if you're in playing the game and 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 you need to do something and it has to succeed, what game system do you want to be playing in order for that to happen? I would say just with the one time I played with Big Irish there at Con of the Cobb, I'd say Savage Worlds. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I just Sa played it the once and I said that. Yeah. Yeah. Savage Worlds is is good. Is good. That's a good example. Um, I think also, again, going back to Fate, Fate's another one. I think Fate and, and Savage Worlds are very comparable in the um, in, in the, the simplicity, but also like, you know, good gameplay. Okay, um, I, I'll give you a word, Bruce. The cinematicness. Yes. yes. Yeah. 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 Both of those. Either, either one of those two systems, I think, uh, qualify very well. All right. Jonathan? I was I was going to say uh, probably Cortex again because it's such a narrative driven game and you 
basically, you know, you tell the the storyteller, you know, what you want to do and you roll and even if you don't get the num the you know a number that beats the 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 the, the narrator, you can roll again if you, you know, use one of your bennies or you can you know, you can take the option of well, you succeed but you succeed with a complication, so yeah, I mean, it's it's a to my experience, it's it's made to be much more like you you will usually succeed at any task you want. Now, whether you have complications that arise from that or not is the big question. So, hey, l- let me ask you. So, so where does uh, cortex? So, because fate has kind of like that too. Like you you can succeed with a complication. I I believe mm-hmm. if I remember correctly, or, or maybe I'm conflating them. I I don't know. I, well, you're right. No, you can succeed. You know, the GM will say, you know, yes, you can succeed, and he'll push things at you so that you will succeed. But then the, he's pushing complications at you. Yeah, I, I, I actually, I love that concept. I love that concept so much because it adds so much to the storytelling. It's like, I need to succeed at this. Okay, you succeed, but. You know, and I love that, 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 but that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah. and I've, I've found it useful because it's, it's almost like a procedural storytelling and, and a video game kind of concept. And that's that, you know, when I'm playing, when I am playing Cortex, I'll usually ask exact, because in, you know, in Cortex, one of the ways you get complications is if you just roll a one on, on one of your dice. Mm-hmm. So I'll ask them, well, which dice was it? Was it the dice you were rolling for your you know, your, your strength or you know, one of your attributes, or was it one related to one of your skills? And I'll have the complication. If I can think of it, think of it real quick, have it tie into that particular trait that they were using. So, so Bruce, uh, uh, crew, can, please indulge me. So I remember, you remember I mentioned this game immortal and, and I loved it and I'll tell you why. So this, this is tying right into that. So in immortal, you had, uh, I can't remember exactly how many, I think it was six stats but you, you had a number of stats and whenever you did an action, any complication to that action would require you to roll on one of those stats. So for example, if you're attacking somebody, you know, that would be your agility stat cause you're trying to hit them. Right. I don't know if the agility is the name of the stat, but let, let's just, we'll call it that for right yeah. now. So let's say you're attacking somebody. You, you're going to, all right, so I'm going to roll my red die. Because you had you had six ten sided, you would when you played this game, you had six ten sided, and they were all different colors. They were all like red, blue, green, whatever. I remember green was movement. I think red was agility. I think blue was mind or whatever. But let's say I'm gonna attack this person. So I'm gonna roll the red die for the actual attack. But the game master would say, so here's here's two complications you have to consider. The first complication is it's dark. So that's going to be your blue stat because that's a perception. So you have to roll a blue die as well. And it's raining, so it's slippery. So that's a movement. So you're going to have a, a, a movement complication. So you have to roll your green die as well. And each one of them would have a difficulty. So if you succeeded on your red die, so you hit, but you failed on one of the other two, you could succeed with a complication based upon which die you rolled. So maybe you hit him, you hit the person, but you slid and fell on your butt, right? Or you hit the person, but because you um, you failed on the blue die, your perception die, you hit him in the foot, right? And or you hit their weapon instead instead of them. 
and it was, and this, I mean, this is way back when, so this is back in, in, in the early nineties is before other people were doing complications and stuff. And it wasn't, it wasn't referred to as that, but it, it but it, it actually was that in, in essence. But whenever you failed a role or had a complication for a role, you knew exactly where it came from, which is why I love that system so much. Okay, um, I definitely want to echo uh, Peter's mention of the fate system there, just the, the whole aspect and fate point uh, uh, economy can enable you to do all kinds of crazy things if you've got the, your, your fate points set up and you can pick the proper aspects. In fact, there are a lot of people in the fate community who play with a, a rule that's not in the written rules, but that you can only uh, invoke an aspect for each given level of the thing, whether it's one on yourself, one on your, on the object of your action, and then one for the scene as a whole. So, and that's that can still give you a plus six on your roll, which in fate is huge. Uh, so, um, and then that's a roll of on top of a roll of four d fate, which are either plus, neutral, or minus, and you add those up to give you an idea of how that works out. And so. Without that rule, definitely you can, you know, if you've got the fate points to invoke all of those aspects. And as far as, you know, just because it hasn't been formally defined as an aspect doesn't mean that it's not one. So if you can convince oh. the the game master that this is applicable to what you're trying to do, you can probably spend a fate point on it. And so you can do some wild stuff with with, with fate absolutely it'll kind of cost you because you got to spend those fate points to make it happen but hopefully and that probably means that you've had bad things happening to you up until that that point so that you can earn those fate points and then cycle them back into a a a a big i'm going to you know dominate everything now move in the climax of the game so i, I definitely echo that and Mark, and, and there's also the, the fact of the callbacks, right? Which was really mm -hmm. cool. So like you have made, you can have like, what is it? Minor, moderate, and major events. Right. And you put those on your character sheet as you go through an adventure. And the game master will determine whether it was a minor, uh, moderate, or major event that you, that you did. So you go on an adventure and, and the adventure is like crazy. And you did all this stuff. You know, it's, oh, that's a major event. And you'd write that down. You can actually call back to that event and say, mm -hmm. Hey, I was fighting a vampire in this event, and I stabbed him in the heart with a with a stake. So I'm gonna spend a fate point, and I'm gonna try and attack this vampire in the heart with a stake, because I'm calling back to that moment when I did it before, and so that's what I'm trying to do with this. And it can like lower your 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 difficulty and and add to your role and stuff. So that's actually really really cool aspect. Okay, for me. It's Quags. Mm. Oh, yeah. Which means quick-ass game system. And in Quags, uh, you create a character, and then the GM basically hands out candy, uh, which are called yum-yums. You know, first of all, you earn yum-yums during the game by doing things that progress the story. The GM thinks that what you did was cool. You know, it basically was, was something that that, that made the game better, and you'd be awarded more yum-yums. But if you wanted to do something that was difficult, and you wanted to make sure you succeeded, you'd say, how many yum to the gym, how many yum-yums is this going to cost me? And sometimes the DM would say, you don't have enough yum-yums. 
in which case you can then turn to the other players and try to get them to give the you some of their yum yums and if you could and then if you if you could basically sell what you were trying to do as being the most awesome thing the other players are like oh i got to see this and they will give you more yum yums and you turn back and like okay gm look at all these yum yums did i do it or not and the gm usually would say you know at some point yes yes you did that incredibly awesome thing that you were trying to do and uh, there were no complications as a result of the fact that now you were out of yum yums, okay? And the other player, so you you might have some difficulty in the future pulling off a crazy awesome things because essentially you just used up all your luck, yeah, in order to get it to happen. But you did get it to happen. And as a player of of in in many RPG games, I can tell you that sometimes you really want something to happen, and it's great to be playing a game that lets that mm -hmm. happen. Okay. So uh, my our last question is, what game did you miss either getting or playing when it came out, and have you been able to play it since? Ah, uh, I got that one right off the bat. I, I, I told you, our gaming group skipped second AD&D like it was the plague. We just did not. We did, It's like we tried to do every other game but second edition. Yeah, this is a game you wanted to play, right? Yeah, I'd heard about it and heard about it, and our group all said, well, no, we want to do Palladium, we want to do Marvel, we're going to do DC, or we're going to try, you know, our failed attempted at storyteller. And just, I said, I, I was a different person back then. I said, fine, we'll go with it. I didn't sit there and, you know, bang on the table and say, I want to do this game. So, yeah, second edition d and I've thought about it over the years. And have you been able to play it since? Nope. <laughs> That's all it does, thought about it. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Who's next? The best one I can think of would be Fate. I still have yet to actually get a chance to play Fate. I, I, I heard about it coming out, and I just never got a chance to pick it up, and I, I hear constantly good things about it. I just haven't had a chance to to play it. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, would I would tell you, I was skeptical because like the way it was described to me, I was like, oh, that's not a kind of game. That's too loosey-goosey. That's not a kind of game I would like. And it was actually, I was very pleasantly surprised. Yeah, that's kind of what I've heard about Cortex. And I picked it up and I was like, oh, actually, this is, this is what I like. I like this kind of narrative-driven, not very rules-crunchy, just get-it-and-go kind of game. So... I hear similar things about fate, so I want to try that out. So, uh, so um, Bruce, what was the? I'm trying to think of it now. What's the game with plot points? Well, lots of games have plot points, but uh... no, 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 no. The uh, the TriTech game where you're traveling through space and you're on this. Oh, you're talking about Weird Zone. Yeah, Weird Zone. That's yeah, weird it. Zone. I think it out. Yeah, plots as in plots of land. Right. Go ahead. I thought Weird Zone was kind of odd. Yes. Right? And I, and I, and I, and I told my group about it, you know, and I was like, Hey, you know, I got, I got a copy of weird zone and, and I think it's kind of interesting. Like I, but I don't know that it would be a good game or whatever. And so I sent it to the group. I sent copies of it to the group to like, look at it and stuff. And about six months later, our game master, the guy, John, who, who does most of our game mastering, he introduced it to us out of the blue. We were playing ah. a campaign <laughs> We're playing a campaign and all of a sudden we're in weird zone, right? And I recognized it immediately. Like, oh crap, holy crap, you're doing the weird zone thing. Okay. And I gotta tell you, 
it is a fantastic setting. Like, oh, yeah. Like, on the surface, when you explain it, it doesn't seem like it, you know, like, I, I can imagine a lot of people being like, yeah, I would want to play that game. Oh, my God, it is actually really cool. It was really, really cool. We played that for, I don't know, maybe two months. It, it wasn't really long. But again, like two months, maybe eight games, we played in the, in the weird zone setting. And it was actually really, really, really cool. Yeah, Blix, it was. I, I, and during, oh, not Maze, Time Lords and Magic, where we mixed the Doctor Who and the World of Darkness universes, and they clicked together very well. Perky Goth came to me and said, yeah, I'd like our house to, you know, start traveling the, the city, this Lake George, Michigan here, this, and she picked it out. And I'm like, oh my God, this woman just described Weird Zone. And I right. pulled it out and I sent her the PDF and she's like, this is it. Rich did, th-? I said, yeah, he was very prescient. Read it over and tell me what you think of this will work. It's a game that you have to experience. Because yeah, even he, though I was looking at him going, I don't know, Rich. You know. Yeah, I'm telling you, the description yeah. the description of it, like if you explain it to somebody, it's kind of like, eh, yeah, I don't know. But then when you do it, like actually playing it is so much better than the description. Yes, yes. It actually worked out so well. It was so much fun. Oh, no, I was perplexed. Per- me and Gina were perplexing all of our players because they're like, okay, we got to get back by a certain amount of time. I said, oh, you'll snap back and everything, oh, but still. You don't have to get back. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> but was, no. Very cool. They they took to it, and they're, and the rest of the group are all like, wait a minute, this, Rich made this when? Yeah, yeah. so. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, the game I didn't, I, I missed when it first came out was Fatal. Okay, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm what? kidding. No, Fatal. no. It's, oh, those right, who know, no. Jesus Christ. Okay. <laughs> attack no, but, ser- but seriously, <laughs> the game that uh, I, I missed out on was uh, Human Occupied Landfill Hole. And I was at the Gen Con where it came out, and those things were snapped up so fast that I, I got I got to see the cover of it and a couple pages inside as somebody was coming by. But other than that, you know, it's... It's just this. It's from White Wolf, the, at least some subsidiary group from them, and uh, it was about life inside this. This basically this, I don't know, planet where they just dropped everything, and, and humans still lived. You know, with all this weird stuff that was in this landfill. Um, and I've never, you know, I I haven't been able to get a copy of it since because it, they go for enormous amounts of money, and I'm not. Um, but I haven't had it, nor has anyone ever offered to run it at any convention I've ever been to. So I didn't get to play it. I, and I didn't get to buy it when it first came out. Now, the other one I missed out on, and I have been able to get a copy of is all flesh must be eaten. Uh, And, uh, these guys were really good about, you know, saying, you know, this is back in the middle of the huge zombie craze. And, uh, and they basically came out with this book and, and I have been able to play that. And I must say that it's, uh, the variety that they put into it and just being able to play inside of a, a zombie adventure, you know, because Richard wants... We, we had discussions, Richard and I, and he, we'd say, why do they do this in these movies? You know, why they should be doing this and this. And and Richard looks at me and says, Bruce, most people aren't like us. <laughs> most people don't sit around trying to think about what we would do if the world was suddenly overrun with zombies. Okay, you, <laughs> you've got to cut them some slack. <laughs> so, 
I had some fun with that. So I was able to do that. So that's my game I missed when it first came out. And, uh, but I have been able to play it. So, yeah. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for your participation in our 700 episode. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. I hope I, we didn't lose our, our listeners while they were listening to all the backstory on each of us. But I want you to understand that this is why when we start giving our opinions, you know, we've got some, you know, as Travis says, we've got like a hundred years of gaming experience combined, at least. So yeah. then some, then some probably. Yeah. yeah. All the years of playing, you know, of playing has, has made us all better, better gamers, better, um, uh, you know, uh, better game uh, masters, uh, better designers, better writers, and better podcasters. So we're glad that you know we've been we've done, gone on this journey, and we're looking forward to what the future may bring. And all I can say is, bring the awesome to your table in any way you can, because th- when you look back, you're going to see that time is well spent. Yeah, you're yes. here. Thanks, everybody. Uh, thank you, Mark. Thank you, Peter. We'll have more for you next week, but you'll have to wait until then. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts. It is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. No commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027.